And next we have two paradoxes. First, it's Pito's paradox about the rarity of cancer in large, long-living whales and elephants. And secondly, no animal noises except, well, you'll hear during the conversation with Carlo Melli in Arizona. So the way I describe Pito's paradox is that as a first approximation, every cell in your body has some chance of becoming cancerous. So an elephant with a hundred times more cells than a human, or a whale with a thousand times more cells than a human, ought to be getting just a ton of cancer. But of course, those elephants in the past, or whales in the past, who got cancer before they could reproduce, never left their genes to the next generation. So there's been natural selection on these large organisms to evolve ways of preventing cancer that's actually better than human biology. So because they lived a long time and evolved a long time, they eliminated that problem. That's right. And there just wasn't as much natural selection on small, short-lived organisms to evolve a lot of defenses. It's sort of like that story about Gerald Ford. I think there's actually apocryphal, but there's this old story that he would send his engineers to the dumps to find what parts of the car were not worn out when people threw out a car, and then said, well, we've over-engineered those parts. We've expended too much effort on them. We should focus on the parts that are wearing out. And so natural selection does the same thing. If, if a mouse is dying from predators, then we'll make a mouse successful is avoiding predators. If an elephant is dying from cancer, then the main thing that will make an elephant successful is to evolve better ways of preventing cancer. Gerald Ford, who used to be president of the United States, he inherited that. One of the only presidents who wasn't elected. What are you studying about this? Are you studying the mechanism that makes that paradox work? In other words, the elephant or the whale to be resistant? Well, we actually had to take the first step is just to find which species are resistant to cancer, because until our work and our colleagues' work, we really only knew cancer rates of about maybe four species. Humans, mice, dogs, and the naked mole rat is an infamous case. We have now collected data on over 300 species, so you can ask, first of all, which species get very little cancer, but also just what are the patterns, what explains why some species evolve to be more or less resistant to cancer. So that's our initial question. But then once we find those species that are particularly resistant to cancer, we can start asking how, what's the mechanism? And for example, we've been finding that number of bats, including the Rodriguez fruit bat, gets very little cancer. Dolphins and porpoises get very little cancer. And we don't yet know why. And human beings have been around for what? Call it a million years. Isn't that enough? Uh, well, Homo sapiens have been around, we think, for about 200,000 years. Um, and to the extent that cancer has been a big cause of mortality in our ancestors' past, then there have been selection on humans to have cancer suppression mechanisms. But that's probably not enough for eliminating cancer. What's the name of the dog? Uh, that's Freddie. Uh, she's a puppy, and I don't know what she's barking at. We'll carry on regardless. <laughs> right. So we think that our ancestors probably didn't get as much cancer as we do in the modern era. Probably they were dying from predation, violence, disease, probably a lot of disease mortality. It's only once we've been able to live long enough that we start get dying of cancer. So what do you hope to find by studying this? We really hope to find ways of preventing cancer. What's inspiring to me is that nature has discovered these ways of preventing cancer in these large, long-lived organisms. And the ways it has found are by definition, compatible with a good life, with being able to reproduce, having fertility, and surviving. So it's already been beta tested in these other species, and maybe we can learn from them to do better cancer prevention in humans. And what's your line on oncogenes? Because a few years ago, there was much concentration on what seemed to be part of our genetic makeup that made 
cancer more likely? Right. So we identify genes involved with cancer and we classify them into the two sides, oncogenes and tumor suppressor genes. And oncogenes, technically they're called proto-oncogenes, is only once they mutate and become are driving the cancer that we call them oncogenes. And I think of them as sort of like accelerators and brakes on a car. To drive a car, you need accelerators and you need brakes, right? To build a multicellular organism and maintain it, you need ways for the cells to proliferate. And a lot of those oncogenes are actually involved in just cells being able to divide. So you need those to have life. It's only when they start dividing out of control that it becomes a problem. And that control is what? What is the control that the elephant has and, you say, the the whale has that makes this much more of a safe way to evolve? Well, we only have an answer in elephants, and it's probably just a partial answer. In elephants, what we discovered is that they have 20 copies of one of these tumor suppressor genes, the most important one, called P53. 20 copies, that means 40 alleles. You have 20 from your mother and 20 from your father. Humans only have one copy. And one of the things this gene does is it senses damage to the DNA in the cell. And if that damage is too much, it triggers a cell suicide program called apoptosis. And it turns out that when our collaborators at University of Utah, that's Josh Schiffman and Lisa Beglin, when they exposed elephant cells to a little bit of radiation, those cells die like that. They're very sensitive to DNA damage. And it seems that what nature has discovered in elephants is that they don't risk a mutation by trying to repair the DNA. They just kill off the cell and replace it with a healthy cell. Do telomeres come into this? I'm thinking of Elizabeth Blackburn's Nobel Prize winning work. You know, these ties at the end of DNA and the more stressed you are, and of course human beings are terribly stressed, and there's supposed to be an environmental link here so that the whole process of telomerase, the enzyme and so on, is mucked up. Yeah, that's right. So we think of telomeres as one of the defenses against cancer, that if a cell divides too much, it runs out of these telomeres, then it has a hard time dividing after that point, unless it turns on this telomerase. So in humans, cancers essentially have to rebuild those telomeres to be able to keep dividing. The story we know actually is in rodents. So I have colleagues Vera Gorbanova and Andrei Saluinov at the University of Rochester, and they've looked across rodents, which vary quite a bit in size and lifespan. And what they found was that in the smaller rodents, they have telomerase on all the time. They don't use this protection. They don't need it. But the larger rodents, they turn off telomerase, and so they have this cancer protection. We don't know the role of telomeres in these large animals like elephants and whales. We don't know if that's part of what's being brought into the mix in terms of preventing cancer yet. Well, I know that there are lots of claims about possibly ending our cancer problem. Can you see it on the horizon at any point? The thing that I'm most excited about is the potential to turn cancer into a chronic disease that we manage. So for 50 years, we've been trying to cure it, and it's very difficult to cure. We're inspired by pest managers in agriculture who have learned, rather than to try to eradicate all pests, because that's virtually impossible, and just like in cancer, there are mutant pests that are resistant to any pesticide, they've learned to just manage them, to control them. So we think that one possible vision of the future is that it'd be more like diabetes. You could manage a cancer and live with it throughout the rest of your life and die of something else eventually. Carlo Melli is a professor of biology at Arizona State University and director of the Cancer Evolution Center there.